This is the CMS Colloquium Podcast, produced by the Comparative Media Studies Program at MIT. For more information about Comparative Media Studies or on the Colloquium series, visit us online at cms.mit.edu. So, but let me, let me talk a little bit about where I come from. Um, I went to the School of Visual Arts. Well, I went to Art and Design High School. And then I majored in animation there, traditional animation, the hand-drawn type. And then I did, uh, went to School of Visual Arts, and I did, was a major at film animation there. And uh, when I was still in uh, visual arts, I, w- I started working at Disney in Florida. I started out as an intern for the year, and then I wound up doing a whole bunch of animation for them uh, in Florida th- for their parks and all their other neat stuff. We, this was in the years before computer animation, so we would have to make it look like computer animated. So, <laughs> so we would like draw like the actual vector lines, and we would animate them by hand, and people would think that they were looking at a computer stuff, but they weren't. <laughs> and then when we weren't doing that, we were out hunting lizards in in the park. But anyways, so anyway, I was doing the Disney gig for a while, then I went. I, went back to New York. I went back to Disney doing uh, toy design because that taught me a lot about storytelling, believe it or not, designing toys and packaging. And we could go into that later. And I did that and then I started working on, uh, in a bunch of other animation studios in New York City doing commercials that no one's ever seen. <laughs> but again, um, they were so fast and so furious that you wind up doing a car commercial one day and then the next day you wind up doing a, uh, I don't know, William Shatner promo ad, you know, where he's talking about some stuff. So. But it gives you this um, versatility in going back and forth. Instead of saying this is one style, like Disney, you learn the Disney style. Now I was learning all these different styles of animation, claymation, sand, paper, you know, it was, it was fantastic. So anyway, I wound up at Warner's, where I became an art director there for a very long, long time. And this thing was in my head all these years. Um, it was actually in my head when I was at Disney. Um, and, but it, it took a, a, a much different form later on. And uh, when I was at Disney, Disney has a rule that if you create anything when you're there, they own it. So that was one of my biggest influences for leaving. So I wound up at Warner's where they were really lax about it. They were like, I don't care what you do as long as you come in at sometime <laughs> around 10 and get out of here, you know, and look like you're doing some work because it's Bugs Bunny there. So um, that was the place for me because I could sit and think about Raquetto for a while before anybody saw it. And so it gave me like four or five years to actually you know, look at the concepts that I had done when I was way, you know, much younger and look at them and break them down and say, well, this is what I liked about it. This is not, this is what I don't like about it. This goes in the trash. Because I had actually had done a comic first. It was called Major Rocket. And it was like a, it was like a funny version of Flash Gordon. And, and it didn't go anywhere. I think it was like 10 copies in the whole planet. And, but I wanted to do that again because I love comics. It's, it's in my blood. I, I love the feeling of telling the story with pictures. Um, as limiting as it is because you have no sound and no movement, 
um, there's a challenge to trying to get your idea across uh, visually and in time also between the frames. So I, um, I wound up taking Major Rocket and as you can see I kept the name Raketo just because out of nostalgia. But I put the O in there just to kind of make it more adult. <laughs> and, uh, and I wound up uh, thinking about the idea. One of the things I asked myself was if I was much older when I came up with this idea, what would I do? To, what would I like to read? And so I started looking at all the things that I liked when I was a kid. You know, uh, The Thief of Baghdad, um, you know, Flash Gordon, Terry and the Pirates, all this stuff that goes way back in time, from the 1920s, although I'm not that old, uh, to, to now. And I started to make a list. Wow, I really like this. I really like that. And I started to think, what do I really like about this? And one of the things that, got, that I saw was that there's no comics that talk about explorers. <clears throat> like Star Trek was, a, was an idea that initially started out as space exploration. And now as the new shows started to appear, they, they just were fighting viruses and Klingon all the time. And I was like, well, what happened to finding a new world? That's the ones that I, the episodes that I really liked. When they would land on the lava world, you know, whatever, and, and then Kirk would meet the girls, you know, I don't know. <laughs> you know, and, and, but now, so it, it, so I wanted to go back to the original Star Trek idea of exploring space, finding a new world, Sinbad the Sailor, um, that, that feeling that there's a whole new world out there. And so I, when I started writing Raketo, it was like that. It was a bunch of different planets. And Raketo would go from planet to planet to planet to planet and have all these adventures. But I, I found out, it was really weird. I found out that, lo and behold, that idea had been done before <laughs> with Flash Gordon and Star Wars. And I was like, God, that's been done to death. You know? And I, I have this crazy passion for Birdman, I don't know, and, and Tigerman. <laughs> And I wanted to draw them in, and I was like, okay, I want to plan with a Tigerman. I just, because I, you have to draw what turns you on, you know, you can't, especially if it's going to be your project for many years. And I was like, yeah, I really want to do Tigerman and Birdman and all that. But when you really think about it, and this is a complete fantasy, and you get the thing, the slide there, you could, it's a complete fantasy, but, and this is fun here in this kind of scientific school. You have to always think about a little bit of scientific fact when you're creating these things. As crazy as absurd as, as it was, I wanted to add a little bit of like, well, there could be a Tigerman type of feel. And I just knew that evolution-wise, uh, you just couldn't have Tigerman and Birdman flying around in all these planets. So I, I don't know. I, was, I think I made it harder on myself or whatever. I started thinking about genetic engineering. And, and how that, like, why would you want to even create a Tigerman in the first place, you know? <laughs> I don't know, we just have time, let's cook one up. You know, let them loose and see what happens. <laughs> so I, you know, I, yeah, so I wound up coming up with this idea. Um, again, the, you know, it's problem solving. The pro one of the problems is how to create a new world that, that has a feeling of exploration, and two, how to populate it with Tigerman. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, 
<laughs> Once I could, if I could answer those two questions, I was in good shape. So I started to think, well, okay, I have to create a new world, obviously, because there hasn't been anything like it. And, and so that led me into the apocalyptic, dystopian world, which I really hated, that whole Mad Max, you know, dirty people running around killing each other. I said, I really don't want that. And so I thought, okay, let's, let me destroy the world, which is fun anyway. <laughs> Because, you know, that's like playing God, you know, yeah, bah! And, and But when I, when I started looking at the map of the earth, I said, you know, what I really liked when I was a kid was looking at those maps of like the 18th century, you know, 17th century, and you're seeing these big X's and all these stupid mythological creatures that, you know, when you get there, you know, the, this is an elephant, and it looks like, and it has nine tucks, you know, tusks, and, and then you get there, and it's like, oh, well, that doesn't look too bad. Uh, and so I really wanted that feel. And so I, re I realized, boy, this is, this is cool if I, if I blow up the planet, but if I crack it in, in such a way that I could sink some continents and break some in half and do this, suddenly I have a world that's ours, it's still Earth, but now it's all these continents are all scattered and broken. And, and now going to South America is a lot more fun because suddenly... You don't know where Brazil is, you know? <laughs> you know, you just don't know where anything is. There's a reason to go out and find it. And now I can put, you know, now I can genetically make all these islands filled with Tigerman and Bergman like I want it. So now I had solved the two answers and, and I got to work. So you can hit the thing. So uh, this was the genetic, these are the first comics. And anyway, I'm not going to go into it too much. But as you can see from the drawings, I, the dogmen were, were my favorite to draw. And I, and I started to think, you know, the dogmen, why would you even want dogmen? And then I realized, well, you know, maybe they're designed for like war, you know, they're like warriors, they're like, like living pit bulls, you know, and you would, they would tear things apart. And, but you have this one dogman that's kind of, you know, when you, when you hear more about Spiro's family tree, you, you realize that he's, he's a throwback. He's, his whole family is like psychotic. You know, they all die when they're like, you know, 20, 25, and in, in, in horrible wars, and they love it, you know? And, but Spiro is like the one that's like, no, 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 I want to live, you know? I want to, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so anyway, I, I was playing around with that, and, and then you had um, alongside, I don't know if any of you guys have read the comic book, it doesn't matter. It, it, it was, once I populated the world with the, with the Tigerman and the Birdman, I, I realized that I needed the hero had to be something special because you can't just have a regular guy walking around and then the Birdman just steals the show as soon as he pops into the frame. <laughs> you know, it's like the guy with the mask. You know, I, it, it, I swear in comics, you could have a really beautifully drawn comic. As soon as a guy with a mask comes in, everybody's eye goes right to that panel. <laughs> he steals the whole frame. You know, it's like, it's just, hi, I'm wearing a mask. <laughs> so the same thing happened. The same thing happened with the Birdmen. You know, I, I, I would draw them and I would, and they just, you know, to me anyway. So I came up with this group of, of genetic men called the, the mappers that, yeah, you know, what do they do? What, they look human-like. They're all from all different races and, and all that. But what do they do? And I realized, well, you know, they, they like, they have this kind of, living compass on their skin and they, it, it rotates under their skin like a tattoo and, and if you take their shirts off it's, it's almost 
you could see the lines moving around in, under their skin because they're really like genetic compasses because this world has no magnetic field. That's another thing I needed to do. And, and so they can kind of guide the ships to all the new islands, kind of like Marco Polo. So here was my hero, Marco Polo. You know, I had the, I had the, the mythology. And off he went. He could guide the ships in. He wasn't motivated by uh, power or lust or, or money. He was motiv motivated like, like Star Trek. You know, what's, what's beyond that mountain? I've got to get there. <clears throat> and then I decided, well, in order to compete even more with all this fantastic world that's all genetically engineered based, you know, his body could change into steel and he became like a, a human spaceship. He's self-contained, whereas Star Trek, they had the Enterprise. Raketo has his body. You know, he could, he could throw himself into, the, into a lava pit and his genetic structure will change into, and he'll survive. And if you throw him on the water, he grows gills, you know. And it just made it more comical because, you know, you want to have fun when you're drawing this stuff. <laughs> it's 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know, and you're like, I don't want to draw this anymore. Well, and then you're like, hey, you know, I do want to draw it because there's a, there's a scene with a lava pit coming up. <laughs> you, can, you can shift it. So anyway, you know, so you can see I, I played around with the idea that even the horses are genetically designed and, and they're huge. <laughs> and uh, those are the Serastian fire horses and they go like three or four hundred miles an hour and, and their skin, um, I'm building these models for presentation, but their skin, you know, I see this world so vividly, their skin are, are like uh, fish scales and, and very fine and their eyes, if, if we were to look at it in a, in a camera, uh, inside their pupil would be like a, like a clock, um, almost like a gear shift, almost like very Jules Verne. And I don't know why, but I just thought it'd be cool to see this, you know. Just to kind of give you a feeling that this is a machine and this is genetics put together in some weird way. So anyway, you can flip this way. So I started to play around with uh, the whole planet. And you can see in the background there is, there's a city called San Sebo, which is designed to look like a giant fish. And uh, you can click it. And then, what would a lighthouse look like? And I thought, well, maybe they... <laughs> this was like really late at night. <laughs> and I had, I had designed the panel to be a, a regular looking lighthouse. Actually, the smaller one you see on top. And then I realized, hey, come on, loosen up. I'm, I'm dealing with a world that... You can make a lighthouse out of genetics. Like, why don't you make the whole thing bioluminescent? So at night, this thing, this living creature just glows, and it lights the ways for all the ship. And then it's like a living coral reef that, you know, it, it doesn't really move, but it's alive. And then you put a little building on top, and you put a guy with no sense of smell on top of it. <laughs> and that's, that's what that idea was. Go ahead. But again, it was trying to figure out how, to, how does this whole world function and 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 you know when we're working in comics or in any media you deal with opposites and so I had the good guys play around with genetics and the bad guys would be the ones playing around with the robots because another thing was how do I draw robots I love drawing them so <laughs> I, I you know, this is a very selfish thing you know <laughs> and uh, so I um, you know here coming up with these kind of the war machines that the bad guys would use, these genetic, a little bit of genetically gen engineered things, but they're really more kind of mechanically based. And uh, go ahead. 
we can flip the switch. And then there's machines that, that kind of function as the Hiroshima bomb um, in a way, and, and they can blow up cities. Uh, and um, they, I don't know, I, I thought that was a horrible part in history. And I thought, how do I put that in, in, in a book and, and play around with that idea? So, um, go ahead. And then, you know, when you're designing this stuff, is you're bringing in stuff from history because once you crack the planet, you, you, it was fun because now I can pull from German expressionism and at the same time mix it in with, you know, old Greek ships. So I was able to design ships that look like, I, I like the old Roman, not Roman, I'm sorry, it was a, uh, those, those are like the Trojan War type vessels, you know, where they put paint. And I like that feeling with the, the, the eye for the, to ward off bad luck, the evil eye. And, and I don't know, it was just kind of like mixing all these things that I like and making a new kind of world for it. And then, of course, the guy on the right next to Raketo is a tree man. <laughs> he, actually, he's an earth man, they call him. And they were the, they're the doctors in, in this world where they kind of grow the medicine that you're going to need on the ship. And, and he's kind of like a very soft-hearted, very kind guy. But he kind of grows all this medicine. If they need an aspirin, he'll, he'll give you an, an orange. But the orange will be full of aspirin, and you'll be cool. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so again, it, go ahead. You can flip it. And, and here, were, here was a shot of the characters. You could see a little bit more of the of the essence of how I would populate the world with, where you have these, this, the guy with the teeth in the back, it's really a, like a scarf. Um, they're assassins, and they're called the silent men, and they don't, they don't ever talk. Uh, they communicate in another way, which you'll see in, in the next book, but not by talking. And then you have the dog men in the back, and then uh, the guy to the left with the white stripe is uh, almost like this robot man. That, that, that's been designed. So it was just playing around with all these things. And go ahead, I'll flip it. And then you had old genetic life, excuse me, that was designed even before all the, the, uh, the mappers and stuff. And these are, these are giants. And I was playing around with that mythology of, of, of Greek and Roman, like the, you know, the, the god of the water, Neptune, I believe. And I was trying to figure out, well, how, what would Neptune look like 2,000 years from now if you were to... So here's, here's this giant sea god, and he talks in this really pompous attitude. And, <laughs> and he's a real boring guy, but he, he's a cool guy. He, he appears in, in almost all the Raketo books uh, for a while. Okay. And then you had this mixture of, as you go to different lands, you see, you know, what would giraffes look like? Again, the world's destroyed. 90% uh, of the people are gone, and so are the animals. And so you're putting them together in these new combinations, thinking, I think that's what a giraffe looked like. And so that was fun, because I get to design flying horse giraffes and all sorts of weird stuff. But again, I come from an animation background, which is never draw anything realistic when you can cartoon it. And if you're going to do it realistic, then just take a camera and film it and make a live action out of it. A lot of directors would tell you the exact opposite, but, but they're wrong. <laughs> and uh, so they're, um, 
You know, I, I kind of tend to exaggerate stuff. And plus, the toy background that I came from, I started to see things as, you know, you know I could make a toy out of this. This would be like, kind of a fun model of a zebra with this. So go ahead. And again, everything became bigger, like totem poles were the size of the Empire State Building. And, and it just, it, it leaves my mind to play. You know, that's the thing I love about Rocketo. And um, I don't know. I think that's about it. I don't, I don't know if I want to talk more about it because it's, it's like, it's a work, it's a work in progress. Uh, I'm, I just finished the first journey called Journey to the Hidden Sea. And that takes 12 books. And uh, there's going to be a new journey starting in the next six, seven months called Journey to the New World, which is my favorite story. And then after that is Journey to the Shattered Moon, where the moon has been destroyed also, and it's all kind of like broken up, and it makes like a ring around the Earth. And, and he's kind of the first man in space, and, and there's this whole space race, because I'm a child of the 60s, and you know, all that stuff. So that's kind of funky. And then it ends in Journey to Ultima, which is the last book, and that's, I was talking to Juno, that's more of a Orpheic, Orpheus type of feel, that, you know, this underworld feeling. But the books have been plotted, and that doesn't say they have been written, but they've been plotted. And I, I'm slowly trudging to it, and then when I finish, I could, I could blow my brains out. And then I, the next one is, yeah, these are harpies that attack Rocketo. Uh They're African harpies, so they, I wanted to make them look like after heads, like, like I looked at African kind of mask and the way that they're shaped, and. And I wanted to get that feeling that it's, a, it's an African mask come to life. But, but then mix it with the mythology of the old Jason and the Argonauts, where these things just are coming down. And, so it was fun. I did that just for laughs. And uh, go ahead. Yeah, and again, everything in this world is alive. So the ship is the only thing that's not alive in that panel, but the, the creature that they're dragging through the cloud layer is, is this giant plant life. And uh, Rocketo, because he's the hero, he's more sensitive to, to, to things being taken advantage of, and he gets pretty angry. But um, I wanted to give the feeling that everything in this planet has a sense of being alive. And those are just quick pre-production paintings that I do before I start the comic. Uh, to try to get a sense of where, you know, as I, as I write these things, because I'm from, I'm from an animation background, I write with pictures instead of w writing it. So I wind up breaking the, the story down into like a couple of segments and I'll say, okay, this is where they meet the Sea King. And, and I'll draw a picture and these are the pre-production shots. Even before, go ahead, even before I even write it. And that's the pre-production shot for book, the last part of book 12, which will come out next month. And, and, and you'll see it in the book that it changes, but that's okay because these are not going to be, you know, I'm not going to look at it. In, in fact, sometimes I don't even look at it at all after I paint it. But some, sometimes when you put it down, you can think when you, when you go do your comic, somehow some of that idea comes across on the page. And it gives you a, a focus and you go, okay, maybe this is not what I wanted after all. But because I was an art director, you don't focus on the whole picture. I'll look at like a little bit of that picture and I'll go, but I really like that color scheme on the third, you know, that little upper quadrant. And I'll use that 
for the page. So yeah, always something good always comes out of that stuff. So anyway, I, that's more, much more than I was planning to say. And I don't know, because this was kind of new, I don't know if I could uh, ask questions of you guys, and if you have, guys have any questions. Okay, good. Color is clearly an important element, and yeah. you alluded to it just now. You say a little something about the, think, the thinking that goes into the choice of color schemes for pages, because you, you, you tend yeah. to have a very different Thank sense you. of color than most of the comics that are on the market today. Yeah, well, I was influenced by German Expressionism, and I, because I had so many years as an art director, one of the things you learn is you never close your mind to one thing. There's always a solution. And the solution is, is the hope, everything and every problem you're going to come across has been solved. It just has been solved through time. And you just got to find that solution, you know, if you dig deep enough. And, and sometimes it's solved by the Japanese, and sometimes it's solved by the, you know, the Chinese, and sometimes it's solved by the Germans. And I, I looked at the colors in, in German Expressionism, and I saw how vibrant they were and how strong they were, and how they would cut the shapes. And, and they, went, they would use black, but the black was more as a, as a whole, whereas the, the color would give you the form. And the French started doing that, too, in their comics. They started to pick it up. I mean, we're talking about German Expressionist art, but the French were not actually starting to put it in their comics. And if you look at some of the old French comics, you see a little bit of that coming out, like there's an artist called Chalant who I really love, and he, he, he starts to play around with it a little bit. I think I took it to the extreme, but that's because I have an extreme personality. So I just went like, oh, I, I'll just cut all the black. <laughs> and I'll have a little bit of black and let the shapes work themselves out with colors, um, which makes my inking so quick that I can knock out, <laughs> I can knock out you know, I'm serious, you know, 10, 15 pages of ink a day. Bang! Because I'm only painting the shadow part. I'm only inking the shadow part. And I, I wish I had bought some of my inks, and I will when I have the class. But you'll see the inks. They, it's almost like you could squint, and you go, okay, well, that's half of a Raquetto's head and some ear and some nose, but then the rest is just an empty page. I let the color play. play. It'll do a lot of work for me. It's good and it's bad because I have to think about color a lot more than a normal comic artist. You know, so, but that's kind of my influence, Henry. There's no more. You see some of that in uh, Mike Mignola. Yeah. In Invert. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he does a lot of blacks. A lot of blacks. Yeah, yeah, he does a lot of blacks. And he's, but he's also a fan of German Expressionism, too. If you look at his art, it's just really heavy. I love that. I love his work. I just, you know, you know, in comics, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, they, there's a certain artist that will pop up, and then you got a hundred artists that start to do that style. And, you know, I just didn't want to be known as the next Mike McNola guy or, or the next Alex Ross guy, even though these are fantastic artists, you know. But I thought, this is my comic, and whether it's good or not, I, I'm going to try something that I... That's kind of weird. <laughs> that that they'll say, "Boy, I really hate that Frank Espinosa stuff because it's you know, it's giving me a headache." But at least it would be mine because when I was working at Disney and Warner's, 
your personality is subdued. You are working for a giant corporation, and, and the corporation will tell you, this is Wiedenheiden, and you go that way. You know? <laughs> so, you know, you, you wind up, when you're doing your own personal stuff, you think, well, you know, I, I like to do something crazy. You know, and they'll go, wow, where did that guy come from? So, that's kind of weird. Anyway. So now that it is personal and you're not, your identity isn't submerged in the, in right. the corporate uh, pudding, um, you're known and people, I guess, write to you or at least write to your agent. And yeah. how does that work? I mean, what, what are your interactions with readers like? Do you get a lot of comments? Do you listen to them or read them or just wait till you're done with your work? How does that, how does I, that work? Well, so far it's been working really well. They, they send me little bombs in the mail and I, <laughs> I throw them in the water. No, they, it works really well. Um, I, I, I've been really lucky. I have gotten some really wonderful fan mail. I have, to this day, I haven't gotten one that says, I hate you, I want to cut you in half like a fish. You know, but it might be there. I haven't checked my email in a while. But, uh, I mean, I met Juno through, through that. You know, he just wrote me directly, and, and, and that was amazing. Um, so... Uh, it's been a, it's been amazing because for the first time in I mean I've been working since 1983 in this industry you know and and it is an industry uh, for the first time people say I really like your stuff and it's it doesn't have a Bugs Bunny on it and so that's a completely that's a very scary thing because you're got you, you know you're putting yourself out there and and if you say I really don't like your stuff you go <laughs> you know so but. You know what? It's been it's been great because I don't I don't I don't have that thin skin anymore. You know, because when you're first doing the project, you're thinking, God, nobody, everybody's gonna hate this, because this America is the land of superheroes, whether we like it or not, and they rule the comic industry. And if Raketo had a big, you know, logo on his chest and he had a mask, <laughs> he he would be selling nine times the amount, but. You know, it just doesn't, they don't, you know, it has to be superheroes to sell here. And they, they sell really well here. And uh, Raquetto's not a superhero. He does, his superpower is not designed to beat up a guy. It's designed for him to survive. So that became, that's an interesting psychology that, that, that I'm a, I didn't think it was going to do as well as it did. And I knew that I said, well, this is, you know, I'll, I'll be lucky if I get two issues out and they'll be over. But at least there'll be, be my two issues. So I'm, I'm really surprised. But it yeah. explains why you have nice parents, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, you know, Batman is revenge-driven, you know. Like, they killed my parents! I'm going to kill them! I don't know how you could hold on to that hate for like 40 years, but that's, <laughs> poor guy needs a shrink. But, you know, it's like I wear a bat suit and go out and kick some ass. But, uh, I, you know, Raquetto is based on the Sinbad, the sailor, and, and that's a different philosophy. And it, it's very European, and in Europe it's been received really well, and they're like, wow, this is really cool. But, you know, here it's... That, that was my question. I know um, Ben is in France, which is their, their name for all the comics. They're so much more accepting of, of varieties of style and stuff. So yeah. have you, have you gotten, can you characterize response? Oh, it, it, they, you know, I have gotten a really great response from France. 
and, and Italy. I think the Italians like it because of all the crazy colors. <laughs> and, and hey, Racchetto, come on. You know, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and he's Marco Polo, you know. And so, but yeah, he, it's gotten much better reviews in, in, in Europe. Actually, I shouldn't say reviews. The reviews have been it's just much better fan base, and, and, which is really nice. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Hayao Miyazaki. I don't know if I'm, you know. So, to me, he's one of the greatest living directors. I mean, and 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 to put animation behind it is is almost horrible. It's just he's one of the greatest living directors. Period. He should be up there with Kurosawa and and Sergio Leone or something. But um, so there, there's a lot of influence from Miyazaki in this, although it's been hidden, uh, and. Uh, and I love Otomo and, and the whole Japanese thing. And so uh, I try to read it, but I can't put it in there because I don't. I don't. It's a different drawing that I do than than the linear, very linear, very very stark black and um, thin line that the Japanese do. But I I try to look at their sense of composition because it's so perfect, uh, and so I start just soaking up everything like a sponge. Because you know? that's what you do when you're creating this stuff. You just, you got to keep yourself open all the time. And because you're like, oh, this carpet gives me an idea, you know. And, and, and that's how it is, you know. So, any other questions? When you're hacking your stuff out, do you do things with, um, like, Sculpey, to kind of get a feeling for, like, three dimensions? Or do you just go straight to, like, paint or Wacom tablet or... Oh, well, the actual work, I, this is how I do it. I, I draw all my, 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 my stories drawn in these sketchbooks. I have about 20 of them. And uh, I kept it organized because I'm such a sloppy guy <laughs> that, you know, I'll, I'll, I used to draw one sketch in, in the loose paper. And then like 10 days later, I couldn't find it. So I decided I got to keep everything organized. And uh, I wound up, so now I have like a stack of books that are just raquetto. And you can see this evolution of these stories going off in different directions. But it's almost like it's all been written from beginning to the end. I just have to sort it out and go, oh, I could use this in Ultimo. I could use this in New World. Uh, but it'll start off as these very rough drawings. And then I just, as quickly as possible, I go right into the finish. I don't try to do a lot of, of thinking in, in the roughs because it frightens you. I find out that you should just take that initial energy and, and go and put it on the paper as quickly as, as you can. Um, because if you start to play around with it too much, you, you, it ruins the spontaneity. So I, I go right into the page and then I just paint. Now to answer your question about the 3D stuff, I, I do have, I, th I don't know if you've seen the trade, mm -hmm. but they have these 3D models that were done. And I did that because again, my animations background says, let's build maquettes so we could see what it looks like. But I never once looked at them for drawing. <laughs> but they're great for conventions. I put them up and people go, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, because you're, you, you, you do these things and you, you know, there's some artists that are really into capturing the way that the boot wraps around the leg. And that the way that, you know, the, the, the chest fits into the vest and the way that the chainmail wraps around. And they, you know, that's fantastic. But I'm not about that because I'm an animator. 
I'm about the way that the torso moves against that leg. So to me, it's all about trying to capture the movement. So I, don't, I found that I didn't need the reference as much as I thought I did. You know? So I built, I built all this. Like I built one of the little ships out of, you know, out of clay. I never looked at it because I realized that you know, when it's moving, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a different shape. And, and the way I, draw it, I drew it was since I left half of it empty anyway, you know, and I just did the black shadow side, uh, I let your mind paint the other rest. You know, the, and you're a much better artist than I am. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Your mind will fill in the gap. So I could draw in you know, this much of Riquetto, paint a little bit, and then let your mind play and build that world much better than I could. So, it, it, you know, plus that, I could, that way I can get some sleep. I mean, come on, it's 32 pages a week, you know? It's a tough gig. So, uh, any other questions? <laughs> I'm telling you guys the truth. I mean, it, it's, it, you have to work fast in this industry. It's, uh, if you take too much time to think about it, way too much, you, you run the risk of somebody else taking your idea and running with it. And then you go, that was my idea. Sorry, buddy. It was in the air. I picked it up first. So you've you got to move fast. You, can't anal you can analyze it later. But you can't analyze it when, before you do it too much. You just have to say, this is great. I feel that energy. I feel that passion. Do it. Put the time in. You know, that's what comics are. So how dare you do that? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I have one, too. <laughs> but mine has a Star Trek ring on it. So. That just shows you how much of a geek I am. <laughs> yeah. Any other questions, anybody? Have you been motivated by, like, you said, like, the start of idea can come from the carpet or something, but do you think about, like, the story or the image first, or does it just, like, just get logistic? Well, do you feel like a story first and then you illustrate it, or do you just, like, think about some crazy scene and then build the story from there? That's a good question because it's a little bit of everything, and it depends. Um, there are scenes in Raquetto where the writing, the words came before I drew any pictures. Um, and usually that's an emotional scene. The father talking to the son. And those I write down, just the words. The words just come to me. And then I draw the picture to those words. But there's sometimes a sequence with, with the horses. I just had an image of Raquetto and his mom on, the, on these giant animals and running uh, around, and I thought that would, be, that would be a nice way of putting them, these two together and having a sequence where they're inter interacting. And the visual is kind of interesting. Instead of just her cleaning pots and pans, and she's just like, you know, I, I needed a, a, a scene that was epic for that, for that moment. So it, it, I don't know how to answer that. It's the scene, if it's a good scene, it works itself out in your head. If it, I find out a, if it's a bad scene, I'm working way too much on it. There's something wrong. It, it's like my, I don't know, and it might be different for everybody, but it's like my warning, like, ah, ah, ah. okay, your two-hour limit is up. Move on, move on. You know, and I, I find out, hey, I'm struggling with this scene too much. That means, it, A, it either doesn't work, or I haven't found the visual or an emotional hook that makes me excited. So, 
If I get the visuals first, I'm, it's easy. I'm already in. And if I get the words first, it's easy. But if I, you know, so I can make either one of those work. But it's when I don't get anything that that's when I go, there's just something, you know, this is not good. Do you set aside 1 to 3 a.m. to work every day and just chug through, or do you wait? <coughs> yeah, the, the schedule for Raketo was uh, from 7 a.m. to about 12 midnight. I'm serious. It was, it was a long day. So how are you going to continue churning it out for your hearing? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good question. I, I would like to think that um, the reason that it took so long in the beginning was I had to create this world from scratch. And I can show you four different versions of Raketo as a comic that I did before I said, this is not working. I got I to gotta stop this. You know? So I, I would do five pages and go, you know, the character designs were different. The noses are different. I'm working things out. It took a long time. I, now I could draw the characters in my sleep. Now I know the world. Now I, I set up the stage. And I'm thinking now it's time to play. Plus, I don't, the, the next one is going to be a lot shorter. It's going to be, I mean, I spent two and a half books just setting up this world. And I don't need to do that anymore. So... It's going to go from a 12-issue you know, uh, story arc to, to maybe like a 10-issue story arc or even less. So I think I could handle that. And I got the technique down. I mean, I, mean, I was trying to figure out how to paint this stuff. And I went from painting, uh, I have in my portfolio about 12 paintings I did in acrylic. Because at first I thought, I want to get a hand-field thing to it. And I, I painted them in acrylic. And then I found out, my Alex Ross, I showed it to him, and he said, um, you don't want to have a life, do you, Frank? And I said, I could do this. And he said, no, you can't. <laughs> and I said, I know I can. And he said, no, you can't. And I said, I, he says, how many can you do a day? And I said, I could, I could paint two pages a day. And he said, that's still not going to be enough. And I was like, I don't know what he's talking about, but this is Alex Ross. He does this for a living, right? Me, the big little whippersnapper, I'm going to... So I started painting it, and I realized, he's right, I can't do it. <laughs> I mean, it's just no way. So I had to figure out how to paint this thing, and I bought Painter. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Painter. And I started playing around with Painter, and then I just didn't like the feel of that. It was, it was nice, and it, it's a beautiful look, but it wasn't what I wanted. I wanted something harder. And Painter was giving me these very beautiful, soft, oily, pastel-y stuff. So I wound up using another Photoshop, which I hated. I mean, I hate Photoshop to death because as, a, as when I was at Warner's, you, you send out assignments and artists would give you paintings and they were, all, they were all airbrushed to death. So I was sick of airbrush and I was like, God, I, you know, and they were like, you're using Photoshop? I'm like, yeah, but I don't ever want to touch the airbrush tool and I don't and that's, one thing that I keep away from in Raketo. So I use other tools, anything but the airbrush tool. And so I, uh, so that was, so a lot of that pre-production work, I don't have to do anymore. In character development, do you find that there's a moment when suddenly the character acquires a life of its own and it almost feels like you didn't, you didn't create it, it just sort of arrived? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, um, I worked with Spiro for a long time. And Spiro was giving me troubles from day one because, 
you know, if you read the book, I mean, Spiro is, I always say, Raketo is a hero. He, he's genetically designed to be a hero. His parents were heroes, you know? He can't go wrong. Spiro, on the other hand, comes from a dysfunctional, twisted family. And yet he's, he has to make decisions that are correct in life. But, so to me, Spiro's always the hero. But you can't name the book Spiro. No one will buy it, right? <laughs> so, you know, you disguise things. But Spiro, you know, when he started out, he started out as just as, he started out as a really mean character. Like just, you know, I had done a whole bunch of designs and he was a pit bull. And then little, little by little, he got softer. I don't know why. He just started getting softer at my drawing. Then I said, okay, that's kind of fun. And I, sh I threw the pages with the pit bull design out. And I went to a pages where he was soft. Then he was too soft. And I, I was trying to find an archetype to play with him. And then all of a sudden, it hit me one day like a pile of bricks. I was sitting there just writing. I remember I was just uh, writing some, some Spiro dialogue and working out some rough concepts. And I heard Humphrey Bogart's voice in the back of my head from Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And it was, yeah, yeah, the tigers got him. That's right. <laughs> and that's when Spiro came to life. I was like, oh, I just, I literally, it, it like, he took over. And, that, and I realized that he was just, he was just Dobbs. You know, he's Dobbs. He's the, he's the you know, he's like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. And, and, I, and, and that was it. And that, and that character now is so much fun to write because I just, I have to think of Bogart all the time. And it, he just flicks right on. And he, he takes me to places where I go, no, 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 you're not doing that. But when I draw the page, he's doing it. And that happened a lot in book 11, where I had a whole sequence where Spiro's saving Ricketto. And I had worked that out in these beautiful storyboards. And I was like, this is going to be great. And I sat there, and uh, it came out completely different. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, completely different. You'll see it in the trade. When I publish it, I'll show you, like, wh what happened? And, and it happened, literally, I just sat there. I put up the blank page, and as I started drawing, it, everything was forgotten. The character was saying, I'm not doing that. You're wrong. And that's creepy, because that's like, you know, the exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> Becomes Spiro in the middle of the night. I don't know. But uh, he, he's, he's a fun thing. And what's his name? I always think of, um, who's that actor from Sideways? Um, Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti. Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, like when I have meetings with people, I say, that's his voice, you know. I don't want no Merlot! You know, that whole thing. <laughs> you know, that, that's, because he's kind of like a Humphrey Bogart type, too. It's just that he's, you know, he's just more. So, anyway. Any other questions? How dare you? From overseas, and I couldn't get hold of it. But um, at this book too, a little bit. Now, one thing when you're dealing with themes like um, with themes like exploration and people who are mapping the world and you know environmentally, you know all of yeah. that. How? I mean, when did you have to stop and think about what it? You were doing like, yeah. a picture politically, historically. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on with exploration. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a good question. I, I think about that stuff all the time. That's the problem. 
<laughs> it doesn't turn off. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, when I'm not physically working on Raketo, I'm thinking about it. Or, like, I'll re I love reading about explorers. And I, I mean, that's, you know, so you read about the, the guys who explored the Arctic, uh, you know, and, and like, and you read about guys who went into the desert or the guys who uh, discovered the Nile. And, and they have all these bizarre personalities to them. But then, how do I make it topical to, to our view now, you know, of the world? Uh, I put in, when I was drawing Raquetto, the, the, uh, the war had just started in Iraq. And, and, I, and I decided to make him a soldier coming back from a war who was broken. That was my way of kind of saying, well, you know, if there's ever a guy or a person or, you know, reading a, that's a veteran, he might want to connect with that. But the research is the most fun part, and I don't mention it because that's, it's fun. And, I mean, that's where I spend tons of time just reading um, for the sequence uh, for the destruction of the world. I, I bought all these tapes that Nova had made on the magnetic field and what happens, you know, to the Earth and all that and blah, blah, blah. And even though you don't see it there, I, it was just fun to understand it. But I don't... I never looked at that as work. To me, work is physical, that I got to knock these pages out. But the other stuff is fun, you know. So I don't know if that answers your question. I... Is that it? Thank you so much, friends. It's been great. You're welcome. I look forward to uh, meeting all of you here. I got half my class here, so, you know. This <laughs>